Welcome into another episode of the Hoop Fiends. I guess you can call this a Sunday size up, uh, but I'm going to be talking about a lot of different topics across the basketball landscape. I want to touch on the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, uh, Final Four, preview the championship game to come tomorrow night. I want to talk a little uh, women's hoops, got to talk Caitlin Clark, and we'll close it out with our final NBA uh, futures check-in before the playoffs start. Lots on tap. I'm excited to kind of get into it. Won't be too long, but just wanted to get my thoughts on the airwaves. Uh, Dating back a week now to the Sweet 16, absolutely crazy stuff. It opened on Thursday with one of the best games of the entire tournament, Michigan State and Kansas State. I mean, Marquise Noel is one of the best college basketball players I've ever seen. Just in his resp- – obviously, he's not going to have – I mean, maybe you, you've seen crazier and shorter players succeed in the NBA, but I highly doubt he's going to be able to succeed at the next level because of his size. But his passing, man, he had 20-19 in this game, five steals. Obviously, some of the clutches plays in the entire game, that play – where he did the argument with his coach, no-look alley-oop, in overtime. One of the most special plays I've ever gotten to see in this tournament. This game was electric. Shot-making was crazy. I had Michigan State winning this game, but in the end, I think the better team won. Tom Izzo had a great run with this team that wasn't very, very talented. I mean, Hogard had a great game, A.J. Hogard. Hauser missed some clutch shots. I really like Hauser as a player. I think he just like Sam in the NBA has got a role as just a three-point shooter on any basketball team he's going to play on. It was unfortunate that he wasn't able to get going in this one. He made some shots, but just the big ones where the team really needed him to come through. He missed some free throws as well. I think that hurt. Um, Sissoko, I've hyped up Sonogo and Sissoko on this podcast. Sissoko was irrelevant. He was he only had five points. They really couldn't find a spot for him in this game with all the fast patience shooting. Um, and then it was, I mean, it came down to pretty much Tyson Walker and Marquise Noel. Marquise Noel outplayed Tyson Walker, the two New York City guards, in Madison Square Garden. It was so much fun watching as much of this game as I could. And I would watch this game like eight more times before I got bored of it, probably. It was so, so much fun. Um, the next game was Arkansas-Connecticut. Just another beatdown by UConn, and that's going to be a theme throughout this entire podcast i mean the run uconn is on it's absolutely incredible we've really never seen anything like this in the ncaa tournament they haven't even had a scare their closest game spoiler it was against miami in the final four they lost they won by 13 the run they're on sonogo has just been incredible hawkins shot making has been great this game against arkansas wasn't close arkansas had a great run beat kansas but it came to an end here they have nba talent but uconn is just on another class this year uh, Florida Atlantic upsetting Tennessee. This game was awesome. It finally, Rick, Mr. Barnes, I mean, it was only a matter of time before he choked in the tournament. Florida Atlantic, what an incredible run they continue to be uh, on in this, uh, in this tournament. Janelle Davis was great in this game. Uh, it was really low scoring. There was a lot, a lot of defense played. But Tennessee just didn't have shot makers. They didn't have Ziegler, their point guard, to run things. They just didn't have shot makers when it mattered. Viscovi was 3-for-11 for them. They just really weren't able to get anything going. It's amazing that this team beat Duke. I don't get it. I'll never get it. 
till at least next year when I forget about this tournament. But that was still one of the most surprising outcomes of this game. Them pretty much beating Duke wire to wire, outplaying them 65-52. I'll never understand that. I really thought Duke was going to be able to make a run and come out of this side of the bracket. But instead, Ford Atlantic, miracle run for them. Such a very fun team and special team to watch. Rooting for them pretty much every game, obviously, against FDU was tough to root for uh, Florida Atlantic, but they're such a good story in their own right. Um, another great, great game, Gonzaga-UConn. Two blue blood... Pro- oh, well, Gonzaga's not blue blood. Who am I kidding? But two very, very successful programs. And Jaquez, down the stretch, UConn was up... or uh, UCLA was up at halftime, like 13 points. Gonzaga stormed out with Drew Timmy, just unstoppable, had 36 points in this game. And, you know, it was it was seemed to be over. It seemed like Gonzaga had control of it by the near the end of the second half. They were up like 13 or 15 points even. But UCLA, in the last few minutes, just Hawkins to the rim, to the rim, and one, and one, hitting shots when it mattered. And then all of a sudden, it was just like a five-point ball game. You're like, holy shit, who knows what might happen here. Gonzaga missed a bunch of free throws, and when you miss free throws at the end of the games, you choke. And it was Amari Bailey for UCLA who had what seemed to be the dagger three. They were down two with 10 seconds left. Timmy missed two free throws. Bailey gets a clutch three, and you think it's over. You think UCLA is going to somehow find a way to win this game, have an awesome matchup against UConn in the Elite Eight, but no, they drew up. Uh, Gonzaga drew up the Villanova play that won them the national championship. I mean... The balls on Julian Strother to hit that shot to win the game. Just incredible, incredible stuff. You don't really see that that often in the tournament. I mean, obviously Jenkins did it for Villanova. Like, that was awesome. But the deep three that Strother hit, I, it was the most, no, 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 what are you doing, what are you doing? And then, oh, my God, he hit it. Three of this entire tournament, one of the crazier shots I've seen in college basketball. Just awesome, awesome stuff. Um, then the next day, the day of upsets, this was crazy. Both one seeds fall, Alabama and Houston. I've never had a bigger 180 on a player in in an NCAA tournament than I did on, um, sorry, than I did on Brandon Miller. I mean, I was hyping him up as my favorite NBA draft prospect in the draft. I think he was, should have been the number two. I was saying, pick him over Scoot, like, this is incredible, but... This is one of the worst tournaments I've ever seen a guy like him have. I mean, talk about zero points against the 16-seed Texas whatever in the first round. Okay. He played good against Maryland. He had 19 points, but they were – I mean, the game was never in danger. And then to come out in the Sweet 16, I know San Diego State has a great defense. I know, obviously, spoiler alert, they go on and make the championship game. Like, they're a good defense. But to shoot the way he did in that game, it was utterly embarrassing. Embarrassing. Three of nineteen, one of ten from three. They almost they were up ten at one point in the second half. Then San Diego State rallies and takes control. They're up by ten. And Alabama before the end of the game, they were coming back into it, coming back into it. Brandon Miller had a big shot that could have cut the lead down to like two or three and just bricked it. He was never even close in this game. The other guy I liked on Alabama, Noah Clowney, another NBA draft prospect. He was one of six, foul trouble the entire game, only three points. He was shooting threes. I don't even think he's a good three point shooter. He was over three from deep. Pringle, I love Pringle, Nick Pringle on Alabama. He did nothing this entire game. The guards were asked, Quinterly and Sears were pretty much asked to do everything, but Quinterly got blocked almost every time at the rim. He couldn't get anything going. Sears tried his best, but this was just an embarrassing 
showing from Alabama, the team I picked to make the finals, and it's just really damn disappointing. The 180 on Miller, I'm not going to go out and say, oh, okay, I think he's going to suck now in the NBA. I watched so many Brandon Miller games, obviously the game where he came back against South Carolina after the controversy with everything that happened off the court, dropped 36 or whatever it was, beat him in overtime. Like, this kid has so much talent. I'm not going to take this game against San Diego State, a team that is now in the finals, shutting down the best players in all of college basketball. These are pretty much grown men on San Diego State, all 25 years old. I'm not going to overreact to this game. I think uh, Jordan Miller is still going to be a really good player. I'm probably not picking him second now. I'm probably not even picking him third now, but I still feel comfortable with him as a top-five pick. I feel more comfortable with him than I did about Jabari Smith coming out of the draft. And you can say what you want about Jabari Smith because Jabari Smith has been pretty bad this year, and he's coming into his own at the end of the NBA season, but I feel good about Brandon Miller. I'm taking Scoot over him for sure now. The Thompson brothers probably might get my nod over him maybe, but still a top-five pick for me. I still think he's going to have a nice NBA career. He has all the tools, and I think he just has a little learning to do. Uh, We've seen really, really good college basketball players suck in the tournament before and still go on to have NBA solid NBA careers. I'm not overreacting to this game. Uh, The Houston losing to Miami, obviously Miami going on to the Final Four as well. Um, I think this was just more about styles. Marcus Sasser was banged up. And Miami, the guards, Nigel Pack, Isaiah Wong, Jordan Miller, they just couldn't be stopped in this game. Literally everything they wanted to do, they were getting it. Norchad O'Meara was back and really good in this game, um, dominating the paint as well. Uh, we weren't sure really how much Norchad we were going to get in this tournament, and it turned out to be a lot. He's been awesome. He had a 17 rebound game against Indiana. 13 against Houston at a double-double. He's been all over the place. This team has so much talent. It's crazy. I cannot believe I had them. I think that's my biggest regret of this entire tournament. Yes, I also had San Diego State losing first round, but I really, I just still have not been wowed by them. They play great defense. I knew that. I just haven't understood how they found a way to win these games. Miami, having them losing first round to Drake, obviously they were down and almost did, uh, but I think that was my worst take about this whole entire tournament. They're just so talented. I thought without having their big man, they might not be able to withstand the uh, veteran leadership of Drake. But after that game against Drake, they've pretty much had their hand against all these teams they've been playing. It's been really, really impressive. They go on to come from behind and beat Texas as well in an awesome game, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But just just really, really impressive stuff from Miami and Noriega. I mean, just an awesome, awesome coach. He has done such a great job with pretty much every team he's been to. It's really impressive. Uh, Creighton-Princeton, um, I was impressed with just the how Princeton was able to hang in this game. But in the end, I mean, they just didn't have enough talent. Creighton, starting five, is just so good. They didn't have anybody to stand in with Kalkbrenner. I mean, just a great run from Princeton and representing the Ivy League, representing New Jersey. Just a 15 seed going to the Sweet 16. It's always a great story, but they just didn't really have much of a chance to actually win that game. And I don't have much of much to say about Xavier, Texas. Texas kind of controlled this all the way through. Um, it was a great game from Tyrese Hundery at nine, 19 points. Um, Marcus Carr, another like the guards controlled it. Xavier, you thought we're going to be able to kind of hang in there with them, uh, but I mean, Sully Boom, their best player in the first round and the second round of the tournament, basically it was a non-factor, four of eleven, um, and without him, they were pretty much useless. And just a nice showing from Texas. You really thought they were had the chops to go up and beat UConn, 
or at least contend with them, and they didn't even get there. So um, we'll move into the Elite Eight and kind of catch up from there. Um, obviously, it started with uh, Florida Atlantic and Kansas State, another freaking awesome game for Marquise Noel, and I cannot believe they didn't find a way to win this. It showed the great coaching. I don't even know who the coach for Florida Atlantic is, but my God, he did a great job with this group. I mean, they just didn't give up. Kansas State would go on run after run. Marquise Noel had 30 and 12. They're kind of letting him, he was doing anything he wanted. He was 5'11 from deep, obviously like five steals as well. Just incredible, incredible stuff, but he didn't get as much help as he got in the uh, the Michigan State game in this game. Ishmael Massoud, his best friend, only had five points. He gave it to him for the win for whatever reason. Marquise Noel passed up uh, a look to try and tie the game and gave it to Massoud, just a bad decision. But he was, I mean, he's just a good ball player. He knew that he was being swarmed. He had to give it up. He gave it to his childhood best friend and it didn't work out. But I'm really excited to kind of see where Marquise Noel goes. Obviously, you all know I'm the NBL advocate. Would love to get him in the NBL, man. He would thrive in that league. Small guards like him, he would be awesome. I couldn't recommend the NBL more to Marquise Noel if he needs to have anybody explain it to him or what the league's like or if it would be cool. Just have him give me a call because he would fit in so well for our team in that league. I, I mean, Tasmania, losing Josh Majette, get Marquise Noel on the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. That team would win a title. Uh, But again, great job by Florida Atlantic. Them making the Final Four is just probably the story of the tournament, if I had to say. Um, And then UConn again, not much to say, just a beatdown in Gonzaga. Drew Timmy was basically in foul trouble on the first two minutes in the game. He was a mess. Jordan Strother, as good as, I mean, Julian Strother, as good as he was against UCLA, was horrible in this game. And then they just didn't have enough firepower. And eventually they just, before you knew it, they were down 20 and the game was over. Um, They hung for a half, but that was it. I mean... There wasn't even, like, Sonogo had a double-double, 10-10. and 10. Hawkins had 20 points. He was good, but he was 6-15 of 15 shooting. Like, he wasn't dominant. Um, it was just a great all-around team uh, team performance. Andre Jackson, NBA prospect. This guy's awesome. He does literally everything, almost had a triple-double. 8 points, 9 rebounds, 10 assists. That was impressive. And there was just 8 points, 8 points, 8 points, 6 points. Like, this team is just so, so strong all the way around. Caravan can shoot it like no other. Klingon is just such a good backup center for whenever Sonogo comes out of the game. I don't like Newton. He's probably the only player on the team I don't like, but he was fine in this game. Eight points, seven rebounds. What what more can you ask for? Calcaterra, Mr. California, this team is just stacked and... I mean, I had them in the final four. I had that's the only part of the bracket that I picked right. I'm just upset I didn't pick them winning the whole thing because it seems like that's where we are headed. Um, and then the last two games of the final four or the uh, elite eight. This one, man, Creighton, San Diego State. This one was probably the most infuriating of the whole entire weekend for me. I just so so confident Creighton was going to win this game. I thought Creighton had so much more talent. I cannot believe that San Diego State found a way to win this game. I mean, it was Creighton was had a slight lead at the half, and it, they were just pretty much in control almost the entire game until like six or seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. San Diego State just started hitting shots, and they just they just find a way to get every team they play into these slugfests, man. And it's just gross play after gross play, defensive battles. Brad, uh, Matt Bradley, their best player, only had two damn points in this game, and they still find a way to win 57-56. to 56. And 
it wasn't even that. I mean, they took a one-point lead, or a two-point lead with 20 or so seconds to go, and you're like, okay, like, maybe they miss a free throw, Creighton comes down, who knows what happens. They turn the ball over on the inbounds, and, I mean, it was literally like a pass to the other. I mean, Shireman stole it and made a layup in two seconds ticked off the clock. One of the worst inbound plays I've ever seen. This team just continues to just... I don't know how they found a way to win. And then, obviously, um, it was a controversial foul at the end of the game there. (sighs) Listen, that was a foul. I can't be mad at the refs for calling that. It was the right call. He was going up to shoot a floater and was pushed in midair. I mean, it was the right call. I'm not too upset about that. I'm just more upset with how Creighton performed in this game. Um, after Alabama went down, I was like, oh my god, Creighton's going to make the finals easily. Obviously, didn't get to get them on the airwaves because it was so quick of a turnaround before they lost to, to this dumb San Diego State team. They continue to baffle me, and I continue to pick against them every time, and they continue to be wrong. I, nothing about this team impresses me. Again, they're good on defense, but I just don't think they have good shot making, and they just find a way to make it when it matters. They have clutch shooting, and I guess that's what matters. It's just crazy, but I'll bitch about them again in a little bit when I get to the Final Four. Oh, I skipped Miami-Texas. How dare I? But I mentioned it earlier. Texas looked to be in control, and then late in the second half, it was just the guard play. Jordan Miller at 27 points in this game. Norchan Amir, almost another double-double. Isaiah Wong, 14 points. Nigel Pack, 15 points. They just got great play from everybody. Wuga Poplar, my guy, at 16 points. Just an impressive game from these Miami. It's just, it was fascinating, the run they were able to go on. And then you're like, oh, my God, can they do this to UConn, too? If they're doing this to team after team after team. They beat Houston. They beat this Texas team. They could probably hang with UConn. And they hung. They tried. They fought. And UConn just dismantled them, too. It's absolutely incredible. That was our first game or our second game in the Final Four, but we'll start there because it was just so damn impressive. It was right off the gun, basically. You kind of thought the game was over. Sonogo drilling two threes at the start of the game. Are you kidding me? With everything this team has going for him, if you have Sonogo now drilling threes, get another double-double in this game, 21 points, 10 rebounds, 2 blocks. He is everywhere. Now if he's drilling threes, I mean, what are you going to do? You can't hang with this team. I don't. It's going to be an awesome championship game in a way because... It's, it's like a defensive powerhouse versus an offensive powerhouse. How does it match up? But, it, I mean, Jordan Hawkins, again, hit three threes, just caught shot-making. Just everybody chips in on this team, clinging off the bench, four and six. Katera, five points. Jackson, six points. Newton, seven points. Caravan, eight points. Aline, eight points. They just get so much help from everyone on the team. It's so deep. It's really, really impressive the job Hurley's done with this team, and they are, to me, a blue blood. They have had the most success as a college basketball team in the, I mean, since I've been alive. So to me, they're a blue blood. They're one of the best programs that has been in existence uh, since I've been alive. So good on them for finding a way to make it to another championship game, and I'll be rooting for them in the finals because San Diego State, another one-point win, against a team I was rooting for to get to the finals so bad. They beat the team I was rooting for three weeks in a row. They beat the Charleston team I was rooting for early on. Everybody, I think, oh my God, they beat Furman too. This San Diego State team is the most disliked of a college team I think I've ever had. They beat every team I've been rooting for. They beat my 
they beat my uh, champion pick, Alabama. They've done everything against it, and it, I watch it every time, and I just don't get it. It's infuriating, and it sucks that they found a way to beat Florida Atlantic, another fun, fun program. It would have been so cool to see them in the finals, and now we're going to have to see them fucking bang with UConn, and I would love to have had Florida Atlantic versus UConn. We could have offense and watch an 80-80 score run up, but no, now we have to watch a 50-55 to slobber knocker in the fucking national championship game because damn san diego state found a way to get to the, it just it bugs me to no end and it was the way this one happened florida atlantic had like a 12 point lead late in the fucking second half and san diego state just finds a way clutch baskets bradley was actually good in this game that was the difference with the last like four games in the tournament because bradley wasn't even good and they were finding ways to win trammel trammel or trammel he wasn't good Parrish wasn't good. Mensa wasn't good. He was good on defense, as he usually is, but Ladia had some floaters that were just crazy. I don't know how this team... I don't. I know I'm not a college basketball expert or an analyst or anything, but the way I watch this team play, I've watched them all year, I don't get it. I cannot believe they are here. If you told me Florida Atlantic got here, whatever. I've been impressed by them. I haven't been impressed by the San Diego State team, and yet here they are. I don't get it. And it's fascinating, too, to find this matchup, San Diego State and UConn, in the championship game. You've had San Diego State play close game after close game after close game in this tournament, and UConn hasn't even been within 10 points of anybody. So it's going to be interesting to see who finds a way to win. There is a 7.5-point spread, UConn versus San Diego State tomorrow night. I'll kind of go in to talk about this game a little bit before I move on from college basketball. Um, I just, I mean, I've said it. Time and time again in this last 15 or 20 minutes I've been on the mic, I'm picking UConn in this game. How? I can't pick San Diego State now. I've picked against them every game in the tournament. It's crazy. Um, I just don't see how their offense will be able to keep up with UConn's offense. And you'll say, like, oh, well, they'll just slow it down. They'll do what they've done against all these other teams. And, yeah, it kind of worries me because uh, Nathan Nate Mensa, they're – Defensive Player of the Year and Mr. Arope. I forgot his first name. It's like Agook, Agook Arope. Uh, these guys play damn defense, and it's going to be hard for Sonogo. It's not going to be an easy, like, dominate in the paint like he has been this entire tournament. Same with Klingon, and that's where UConn has success when they're running it through those guys, and Hawkins is running around and shooting threes off the ball screen action and all that. They're not going to be able to do that as well, so I am a little worried, but I just... I just, UConn has so much more talent, and Vegas is telling you with a seven and a half point line, UConn has to win this game, man. They have to. I will be so upset if I watch this whole entire tournament just for San Diego State, Mountain West, who I shit on in the very beginning of this podcast run where I've been breaking down the tournament. I hate the Mountain West. I hate this team. I hate the way they play. And here they are in the championship. It's so fitting. So the only thing I was completely wrong about, and here they are in the championship. So UConn stand-up for me at least proved to me that I'm not a complete moron and fool because I loved you guys this entire tournament. I guess a team I hate the entire tournament, UConn, needs to find a way to pull this out for me. And I think Jordan Hawkins is going to have to have a great game. I think Andre Jackson is going to need to be involved distributing, rebounding, and doing all the little things. But Hawkins is going to need to make shots. It's not going to be easy. There's not going to be easy shots to be had against the San Diego State team. That's where you need a creative ball handler and a creative shot maker and playmaker like Hawkins to get going. If he has like a 
4 for 16 game or even like a 5 for 15 game. I don't know if UConn's going to be able to get enough offense going because Sunogo can only do so much against the swarming defense they're going to have in the paint. Jackson isn't going to like go off on his own. I don't trust Newton at all. I mean, hopefully uh, Calcaterra and Caravan can make some open threes, but again, that's going to fall on Hawkins to make plays. He's the X-Factor. He's has been pretty much the whole tournament besides Sonogo for them, but they really are going to need to accept him to step up in this game, and if he doesn't, I'll be worried, but I just I need UConn to win. I'm picking them. I believe in them. I trust them. This is the best team in the entire tournament. No close games. I, I worry that if they do get into a close game, since they haven't had one pretty much since the conference tournament when they lost to Marquette, but I don't know. I just think when you have this much more talent than the other team, I know San Diego State has old guys and veterans, you'd call them, but I just trust the talent more, and I'll be so, so disappointed. This will be one of my least favorite March Madnesses ever, even with all the craziness and fun that we've seen if San Diego State comes out on top. So go UConn, go Huskies. That's where I'll close it. Uh, We'll move into a quick little women's conference tournament talk. Um, I just wanted to talk about Caitlin Clark and how fucking awesome it has been to watch her play basketball. I mean... As a huge Steph Curry fan and the way he plays and how he revolutionized my fandom into basketball and into the NBA and making me love the sport and want to do podcasts like this about basketball, it's almost the same that she is making me do for women's basketball. And it's tough because women's basketball, listen, you can say what you want. You can say the product isn't great. You could say uh, the players just aren't as talented as in the NBA. I don't say whatever you want. I don't care because... She is one of the most fun things I've ever seen on a basketball court. And it's been amazing to watch the run she has had through the entire women's tournament. The game against South Carolina was maybe one of the best games I've ever watched in college basketball. It's weird to say. Uh, it's probably overreaction. I've probably seen a few better men's games. But still up there, probably in my top five of favorite basketball games I've ever gotten to watch in, on the college level. And she was just so special in it, doing everything, passing, rebounding, getting steals, hitting threes from the freaking logo, clutch threes, free throws down the stretch. And Aaliyah Boston and this South Carolina team was undefeated, and she went in there and took them down. Just an incredible performance. I'm so happy that she has to come back for another year. I'm going to watch a lot more, and I think she's kind of revolutionized the college women's, women's college basketball in that respect, and so many eyes were drawn to it just because of her. She should be so damn proud of what she's doing for that sport. It's just so been so, so awesome. And tonight's championship game against uh, LSU, I thought, fucked it all up because... It had more eyes on it than that South Carolina game because of all the hype the game against South Carolina got. Everyone was tuning in. If you weren't already tuned in against South Carolina, you were tuned in for this. If you liked basketball, you were tuned in for this because it was all anybody was talking about. It was honestly more entertaining than some of these men's games because, yes, uh, there's been some crazy upsets, but there wasn't any household names in the men's tournament. So seeing someone like Caitlin Clark this late in a tournament was very, very awesome. And with all the people watching... With all the new eyes, with all the people starting to finally give women's college basketball a chance because of this phenom and special player in Caitlin Clark, I can't stress it enough how awesome she is. The refs fucked it up. It became a ref show. They were teeing her up for nonsense. They were foul, ticky-tack foul after ticky-tack foul for both teams. And it was just, it ruined it. It turned into not being able to watch 
uh, Caitlin Clark play her game because she had to play scared. She couldn't play defense. She couldn't uh, be aggressive on offense. She wasn't able to drive towards the rim because she was so worried about drawing offensive fouls. And it was just a damn shame. Again, I just mentioned it, but that tee she got for just, like, tossing the ball was the softest technical foul in a championship game you could ever possibly have. I don't know what those refs were thinking. South Carolina's, I mean, uh, LSU's coach was up and down screaming at these referees, and we're teeing up her for that. There were ticky-tack fouls on both centers on both sides all game. I'm not saying the refs were worse for one side or the other and it affected the outcome. I just think it affected the product, and that's what sucked. You have all these new eyes on it, and that's the last thing you want controlling the game. You want the players controlling the game. Even if Caitlin lost on her own, like whatever, I think it would have been bad for the sport in general. But having her lose like that with the refs taking control of the game, it just sucked. But overall, just such a fun run from her, getting to watch her pretty much once a weekend, I'd say. I didn't catch all of her games, especially earlier in the tournament, but I caught on pretty quick. Um, I was trying to watch as many games as possible, and just her run, just the way she plays, shooting from the logo, pretty much. She had six threes, like, in the first quarter today. It was just insane. She literally plays like Steph, as if she was her ki- uh, his kid. I would, I would believe you if you told me that she was Steph Curry's daughter. It's actually incredible. And if anyone is listening that never got to watch a game, that is very unfortunate. But I recommend next year. It's her last year of eligibility. It's just so, so much fun. Um, I don't know if I'll ever get into the WNBA, but... I'll be tuning in to Iowa women's basketball a lot next year because it's just so much fun to watch. All right, last but not least, we're going to kind of close this out with our last look at the NBA futures markets for the regular season. We're finally winding down. Uh, We have our last week of the regular season here. And, you know, we talked about it on last week's uh, Hoop Fiends. There's a lot of drama kind of as the... Season winds down. Who's going to be seated where? Teams trending up and down. The Mavs continue to lose. We shit on them all last episode, basically. The West is wide open. The East is, uh, besides its top three, is wide open. And there's a lot still in play in these award races. So we'll hop over into our favorite app, DraftKings, to take a look at everything. Um, I think the latest... uh, and most important thing we got to talk about is the new look on the MVP race. Since we had a nice little discussion about that on the last Hoop Fiends episode, Nikola Jokic hasn't played a game. He obviously showed up against the Sixers, but Embiid didn't. But then Embiid came back the next game, and now Jokic has sat three in a row, hasn't played all week. So that has swung things, even though uh, Embiid missed the Jokic game, which I think took a hit on his MVP odds and made it so basically he was... Uh, pick them between Jokic and himself. Now Embiid is a minus 210 favorite. Jokic is plus 210. Giannis has crawled back into it a little bit more at plus 650. To me, this is still an Embiid's award to win. I think it's helped that Jokic uh, hasn't really played. I don't mean, I don't blame him. They're clinched, pretty much clinched the one seed. They're getting ready for the playoffs and he's a little bit banged up. But Still a Meads award to win. It swung a little bit too because just today we had a Bucks uh Bucks Sixers game and I mean Embiid was good, but the Bucks dominated this game, took control. Obviously both teams wanted to win or were playing pretty hard, and Giannis showed up in a big way. Thirty-three points, fourteen rebounds, six assists, one steal, three blocks. 
I still think he has the best value on this board because I just don't see Jokic winning this award. I really don't. I can still see it swinging to Giannis over Embiid. I just ha think it has to be between one of those two. So if I'm recommending a play, it would be Giannis here. I have, as I've pretty much been recommending for a while now because even though I'm leading Embiid, I just think there's value in Giannis because to me this should be between those two. But that's pretty much where I stand. Uh, most improved is down to Lori versus SGA. SGA, who a lot of people thought might kind of sit and kind of go into load management mode as the season went along. It never really happened. There was like a week where he sat, but it might, it might have just been a real injury. The OKC are looking to probably be in the top 10 to find a way to play in, a team I wouldn't want to play. But I, I struggle to find a way to not give this award, award officially to Lori. I mean, to me, he had the bigger jump. He went from being a fringe like role player to being an all-star and the best player on his team and a team that's competing for a playoff spot, even though they're probably not going to get it, where SGA went from amazing to really amazing. I just I just don't see how Laurie doesn't win this award, but I was wrong last year. I didn't like where things went, and who knows. Uh, this award can go all over the place. Uh, to me, this is Laurie. Uh, defensive Player of the Year, another close one. JJJ and Brooke Lopez are pretty much the only two that can win it at this point. Um, it's been back and forth, back and forth. Um, and now Jaron Jackson is the favorite at minus 145. Brooke Lopez is 110. Um, there was a point where Jaron Jackson was plus money, plus like 150 range the past few days. I wish I was on when that was a thing because I would have said to bet that and I would have said to take that as many times as you could because I made it pretty clear throughout the year that I just don't think voters are going to vote for Brooke Lopez for this award, even if he does deserve it, even if he might deserve it. I don't really know. I just think uh, when you're voting for this award, a guy like Jaron Jackson is more likely to win it. Brooke Lopez is on a much, much better defensive team. He has guys like Giannis roaming and playing free safety around him, the best defensive guard in the game pretty much in Drew Holiday, whereas Jaron Jackson is the actual anchor for his team's defense. I don't see how he doesn't win this award. I still think there's value at minus 145. That's my favorite uh, recommendation to make right now. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Rookie of the Year and Coach of the Year are pretty much locks. It's Paolo and Mike Brown. These guys are winning those awards, and there is pretty much nothing to even discuss anymore. And Sixth Man, our last one, quickly had another great game starting today, which solidified his case, I guess, for Sixth Man. is crazy. He's a minus 550 favorite now over Brogdon. And... Uh, yeah, I just have also been saying all year I cannot see Malcolm Brogdon winning this award. I didn't see quickly finding a way into this conversation. Um, I would have recommended like a week ago to take a flyer on Austin Reeves plus a billion because he was getting so much hype for the Lakers. But um, maybe he is is he on here? He's not even. Uh, he's plus like six thousand. He's not gonna win. Quickly he's gaining too much momentum, and this is fully narrative based. It's not gonna happen, but. It would be in line. I just don't see the stats. I don't. I don't know where this award has been going this year. There's no good candidates for this award. It's probably going to be quickly. So there's no real recommendation to make here. But that's kind of where I'm at. Um, in terms, and then in terms of like predicting the conference champions and playoffs and whatever, I mean, it's the Bucks to me. I just don't see any team that has more talent than the Bucks. They're coming out of the East. They're way better than the Celtics this year. The Celtics have had so many issues. I can't see them losing to the Celtics, barring an injury. Uh, they have Chris Middleton this year and obviously way more depth. The Celtics have been so rocky the past couple of weeks. I really don't see 
Uh, the Celtics finding a way to beat the Bucks, especially considering the Bucks will have home field or home court again. Um, I don't think the Celtics are going to be able to go in there and beat Milwaukee in Milwaukee like they did last year. I think they were much better of a team last year. Marcus Smart was better. Robert Williams was healthy and playing in the playoffs. Al Horford was a year younger. Uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are great as always, but I just don't think they have enough help around them this year. I think the Bucks are still the best value. I would take them to win the East. I would take them to win the whole thing. I just don't see a team with the talent to beat them. Um, and then in the West, I still do like the Nuggets, the Suns. I haven't seen enough of them to pick them. I know they're the favorite. I know they're plus 220 to win the West, but I can't see it. I think the Nuggets are motivated. Seeing them play that game against the Warriors tonight without Jokic, uh, the depth they have, that kid fucking, what's, I don't even know what his name was. It was a kid out of UCLA, uh, uh, Watson. It was crazy what he was doing out there. It was really awesome to watch. They have a ton of depth out of nowhere. I still think they have issues at backup center, but as long as Jokic can play 40 minutes in the playoffs and doesn't get hurt, um, I find it hard to find another team that's going to be able to beat them. Crazy one. I said this on the uh, Hoofians, but the Pelicans plus 9,000 to win the West. I mean, take a little flyer. Why not? If Zion comes back, man, the odds of him coming back are probably slim. Who knows? But they're now the seven seed. They keep winning. They keep winning games so they can get the six or seven seed. They're playing the Kings or Grizzlies, teams with just as much, if not less, experience than them. They were the number one team pretty much in the entire NBA this year when Zion was healthy. This team has so much depth. Brandon Ingram is playing better than he ever has in his career, and I don't like him, but he's still been impressing me. Jose Alvarado's been hurt. They're going to get him back. It's, I just think there's so much value in it. When you have like the Lakers plus 1,000, the Clippers plus 650, the Grizzlies 600, I think there's value in it, man. I just I know it's crazy, but... I just, I have to say it. I really, just really like that play. Just there's value in it, man. I don't think that's going to happen. There's hedge potential, too. They win one series, and then you can hedge it. It's crazy. I just, I think no one's talking about it. I just think that's my favorite play of the NBA season. I'm saying it again. I'll be stupid. I'll look stupid when they don't even make the playoffs or lose first round, whatever. But I think there's so much value in it. You don't even have to weigh a lot of juice on it to make a good profit. That's my recommendation out there. All right, fun size up, fun uh, college basketball talk. I'm looking forward to the Final Four. Um, we'll probably be on one more time before the regular season ends. It'll either be me or the Fiends all together, and then we'll have a playoff preview coming as well. I think that's in two weekends the playoffs start. So we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to everything that's coming out. Uh, like I said, the football Fiends are on hiatus. I know I said we would be back for some free agency and draft talk, whatever, but I can't with all this Lamar drama until there's like some sort of resolution there. It's killing me. I can't think about football. I don't even want to talk about football. So they're on hiatus. Uh, maybe for the draft we'll catch up or something. Who knows? But I just can't right now. I really can't do it. Uh, so follow at Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok to keep up to date with all the Fiends content as we head into the playoffs and hit a crazy, crazy schedule. And, you know, stay into, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, follow us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It would really, really help us out. I'd really, really appreciate it to get those clicks. So do that, and until next episode, I'll catch you guys next time.